Open your Bibles to the book of Lamentations. Over in the Old Testament, right after the book of Jeremiah, who just happened to write both of these books. While you're turning there, I want you to try your best to listen to a statement that Daniel Webster made many long years ago. He said, if we and our posterity reject religious instruction and authority, violate the rules of eternal justice, trifle with the injunctions of morality, and recklessly destroy the political constitution which holds us together, no man can tell how sudden a catastrophe may overwhelm us that shall bury all our glory in profound obscurity. I would to God that we had statesmen that had that sort of insight today. Israel had learned that the hard way, and we see their sad story recorded for us here in the book of Lamentations. This is a book to this very day that is read by the Jews every year to commemorate the burning of the temple. Jeremiah organized the book around the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet using a technique that we would call uh, an alphabetic acrostic. He used that technique in order naturally to help people better memorize the passages of the book. You might say, as someone did, that he was learning to grieve from A to Z. And here in this book, we find Jeremiah giving us an account of agony, a tale of tears, a song of sorrow, a travail of tragedy, and a hymn of heartbreak. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, and you need not turn there, but in Deuteronomy chapter 28, the Lord had given Israel a warning way back then that they had repeatedly ignored. And he said, beginning in verse 47, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things, therefore... Shall thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in want of all things? And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he hath destroyed thee. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar, from the end of the earth. And we see... Israel ignoring that warning and suffering the judgment of God upon them. I might add the righteous judgment of God. They had no reason to turn against God, and yet they did. And here in the book of Lamentations, we find that finally in their misery, they cry out to the Lord... Notice verse 21 of chapter 5, verse 21, chapter 5. Jeremiah says, 
Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. Renew our days as of old. Speaking about the past times of great prosperity when they had lived in obedience to God and they had, as a result of that, reaped the benefits and the blessings of God upon them. But when they turned against God, God turned away from them and suddenly they lose everything that they had been warned about. And as Jeremiah describes this and perhaps at least in my mind, maybe the saddest book in all of the Bible, we find that things get so bad that mothers are literally reverting to cannibalism because they're starving and they eat the flesh of their own children. And he describes a great many of the details here in chapter number 5, verse 2. Our inheritance is turned to strangers, our houses to aliens. We are orphans and fatherless, and our mothers as widows. We are, uh, we have drunken our water for money, and our wood is sold unto us. Verse 7, our fathers have sinned and are not. In other words, they died as a result of it. And we have borne their iniquities. In other words, they had to suffer for what their parents had done. Verse 9, We get bread with the peril of our lives because of the sword of the wilderness. Our skin was black like an oven. Verse 11, they ravished the women. Verse 12, the princes are hanged by their hands. Verse 13, and they took the young men to grind and the children fell under the wood. In verse 14, the elders have ceased from the gate and the young men from their music. Verse 15, the joy of our heart is ceased. And our dance is turned into mourning. What a sad, sad picture that is. And here in our text he says, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord. Now at first glance, this seems like a maybe a strange request, because why would we ask God to turn us rather than just turning to God? And we'll get to that in just a little bit. But first I want to remind you that at some point all of us need to turn, or should I say be turned. And I say that because every single Christian in some way at some time backslides against the Lord. We revert back to our former manner of life at least to some degree. And, and sometimes we know it before we show it. In other words, before it becomes obvious to others, we are already backslidden in our heart. And Solomon said, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own ways. That's why the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So backsliding can be a matter of our attitude as well as our actions. Being backslidden involves more than just staying out of the bars and robbing banks and things of that nature, things that are obviously wrong, those overt, you know, kinds of sin that everybody can see. It can be something that is tucked away in the dark recesses of our heart that nobody else knows anything about, but we know it's there. 
And it can be attributed to several different things, but regardless of what the cause is, the answer is always the same, and that is that we turn back to God. Now, notice in this prayer, Jeremiah is revealing his awareness of their need of God's help. You see, it's not enough just to desire to change, and nor is it always enough to even try to change. How many times we've heard people, or maybe we've even said ourselves, I'm very much aware of my faults. I know what is wrong with me, and I'm trying my best to change. I want to be different. And regardless of how much we try, it seems like that we just keep failing. And sometimes it seems like the more we try, the worse things get. Jeremiah understood that. It's more than a matter of telling the people to turn to God. He's addressing God. This is a prayer to the Lord. This is a request for the Lord to turn them. Remember, Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And we can't even get our hearts right without God's help. We are helpless without God. So many times we get the idea that we can just wander away from God and we can come back in our time and on our terms. I've heard people say some of the most shocking things about their relationship with the Lord. And I know what I'm doing is sin. That's a verbatim quote of a preacher. By the way, a preacher in this area. I know what I'm doing is wrong. I know that it's a sin. I know that God is going to deal with me, that I'm going to have to answer to God for it. But I can't stop. And so many times you and I wrestle with the same problems over and over and over. It might not be His problem, but it's a... It's a different problem in our life. And over and over again, we try to get the victory over it, and we fail. And we've got to come to the place that we realize that there is no way in the world that I can do the will of God without the grace of God, without His help, without His enablement. It's God that works in us both to will and to do of His good pleasure. Now, there's something else here I want you to notice. I want you to notice that he says, Turn thou us unto you, Lord. Turn us. In other words, he doesn't ask God to turn to them. He doesn't say, Lord, would you turn to us? God isn't the one that turned away. It's like somebody has said, you know, whenever you backslide, whenever you get away from God, you need to stop and think about who is moved. When God seems far off, it wasn't God that moved, it's us. So the distance between them and God was their fault, just like it is our fault. And it's always been that way. Children of Israel, having been delivered out of Egyptian bondage, no sooner get out the door, so to speak, and on their way, and 
immediately they began to murmur and complain against Moses for having brought them out into the wilderness. And instead of thinking about what they had been delivered from, they start thinking about the leek and the melon and the onion and the garlic and those things that they had enjoyed back in Egypt. They began to lust after those former things, the very things that God had delivered them from, and now they have a desire, rather than to live into freedom, to go back into bondage. And there are so many times in our life that we do things that are absolutely, totally contrary to common sense. That's why I keep saying that sin is spiritual insanity. It doesn't make sense to sin against God because we reap what we sow. And we reap more than we sow. No one ever sins successfully. And so Israel has ignored all of these warnings and now they are suffering horribly as a result of it. And finally, at long last, at long last they begin to see the need. Not just the need in getting back with God, but the need in God making that possible. A lot of times we think we can have a revival anytime we want revival and we really can't. not something you order up like a pizza. God is the only one that can revive our cold, hard hearts. You think about it. How many times have you known in your heart there was something that you ought to be doing, and, and, and in fact you even resolved that I, I'm going to do that? Maybe you made plans to do it. But some way or another, you just never got around to doing what God wanted you to do. You knew that bitterness in your heart needed to be dealt with. You knew you needed to make an apology. You uh, knew that you needed to lend a helping hand to someone. And the list goes on and on and on of the things that you know that you ought to do that you never do. And the reason you don't is because you haven't reached that point of desperation to where you realize that only God is going to help me do that. Now, there's six things I want you to notice this morning. First of all, there are three forces working against every person. And if you're here today and you've trusted Christ as your Savior, understand that as long as you're in the world, these three forces are going to be working against you. And that's the world, talking about the evil worldly system that we live in, the world, the flesh, And the devil. Those three things are going to be trying to drag you back into the world. Those three things are going to be trying to pull you down and keep you away from the will of God and the blessings of God. And and each and every one of us have to deal with those three enemies in our life. There's no way to escape it. So we have those three enemies that we face every single day. And then secondly, there are several obstacles that keep us from returning to God after we get away from God. It might be pride. Not always an easy thing to admit, you know, that my heart's not right with God. 
That's why whenever we think about revival in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, where it talks about what many have described to be, you know, the formula for revival of the plan for revival of my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way. Then I'll hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. But notice how all of that started. It started with humility if they will humble themselves. And it's speaking about His people. Whenever we talk about backsliding, we're not talking about unsaved people. They've never made any forward progress. They have nothing to backslide from. Until you've been saved, it's impossible for you to backslide. But after you've been saved, it's not only possible, it's probable that you will eventually, to some degree, backslide. Whether it's in your attitude or in your actions, sooner or later, you're going to find yourself out on the sea of rebellion against God, adrift from His will and ignoring His commands. And when you do, there's only one thing that's going to keep you away, and that's pride. Refusing to admit that I am not where I ought to be. Not only will pride hinder you, but pleasure will. The Bible speaks about the pleasure of sin for a season. And a lot of times we are so attracted to sin because of the fleshly pleasure that we derive from it. Now, eventually we get down to the bottom of the cup and there's nothing left but the bitter dregs, but we might as well admit that at least in the beginning that sin can be a very pleasurable thing. And it's the very thing that keeps a lot of people out of the will of God. It might be possessions. If the love of money is the root of all evil, then you can mark it down. There's a lot of people that are out of the will of God because of their covetous attitude about the things of this world. It might be their problems, their troubles and trials that get them down and discourage them. A lot of really good people have been discouraged to the point that they no longer become useful to the kingdom of God. It might be people that hinder you from getting back with God. Isn't it amazing that whenever others mistreat us so many times, our first thought is, I'm not going back to that church anymore. Somebody didn't speak to me or someone spoke to me rudely, someone did me wrong, and so all of a sudden because someone mistreats us, we quit on God. It just doesn't make sense. But these are the difficulties that we have to overcome if we're ever going to get back to where we need to be. Thirdly, there is only one power that can restore us, and that's God. Make no mistake about it. We need a power that is greater than self. We need a power that is greater than others. The only way to ever get back where we need to be is for us to get so desperate that we are begging and pleading for God to control our lives. And we've got to get to that point of desperation. And we look around today and try to find some spark of hope that will bring healing to our nation. And we look in our churches where we should, by the way, be looking Because if there is any hope, it's to be found among those people that the Lord described as the salt of the earth and the light of the world. 
And if there's ever going to be any kind of restoration back to our Christian values in America, there must first be revival in the churches. But there will never be a revival in the churches until there's a revival personally in our hearts. And that doesn't happen until we surrender ourselves entirely to the Lord We are desperate for God to have control of our life, and we depend upon Him totally for help. And that's what Jeremiah is doing. He's begging, pleading for God to turn them because he knows that without God enabling them, they'll never do it themselves. Now, in turning us, God might employ several different means. For example, He directs us through His Word. If you allow yourself to get away from the Word of God, you are causing yourself to get into trouble. There's no two ways about it. I don't care whether it's you or me. It makes no difference how much you know about the Bible or how many years you've been saved. Whenever you stop When you stop turning to the Word of God regularly and daily and letting God speak to your heart, there are going to be some terrible consequences as a result of that. And there's so many times we wonder, well, why is it that, you know, that I'm not able to overcome temptation? Why is it I'm not able, like other people, to to just keep going through difficulties? How is it that they do it and I can't? Well, let me tell you, the answer is very simple if you've been neglecting your time in the Word of God. As Job said, I've esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. God directs us through his Word. Secondly, God enables us to turn by disturbing us with his Spirit. If you're a child of God, the Spirit of God is living in you. That's why I've often said the most miserable people on the face of the earth are not Christians. Make no mistake about it, there are a lot of miserable people in the honky-tonks and the bars, people that don't know the Lord. There are a lot of miserable people that are hooked on drugs, a lot of miserable people incarcerated in prison. They are miserable, but they're not the most miserable people. The most miserable people on earth are those that are Christians, that have tasted of the good things of the Lord, that have experienced His blessings, and now they are out of the will of God, and they are miserable as a result of it. If you can sin and it doesn't trouble you, then you need to get saved. Because as a child of God, the Spirit of God is going to convict you. And long after the message is ended, if you think, well, boy, the preacher really stepped on my toes today and I just couldn't wait to get out of there and get away from that place, i got news for you. The Holy Spirit's going to follow you home. And when you go to bed and put your head on the pillow, if you're a child of God out of the will of God, He's not going to give you peace. He directs us by His Word, but He disturbs us by His Spirit. Not only that, but another way that God turns us is that He disciplines us through our trials. It's a good thing that God chooses for us what we need, because a lot of times what we need is the last thing that we want. 
you don't hear many kids, you know, some little kid coming up to mom or dad saying, you know, I really need a good spanking today. I, I, we, we've raised eight kids. I don't remember any of them ever coming up saying, Dad, I did something wrong. You don't know about it, but I, but I need a spanking today. We, we, you say, well, little children don't do that, and we don't do that. But a lot of times that's the very thing that we need, and God is wise enough to give us what we need instead of what we want. And He does that. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter number 12, Whom the Lord loveth, He chasteneth, and scourgeth every son that He receives. And there's so many times that when we're out of the will of God, then we just ignore the Word of God and ignore the disturbing ministry of the Spirit of God, then God will discipline us through the trials in our life. And it hurts. It's meant to hurt. And then not only that, God often deprives us of our blessings, the things that He would love to give us, the things He would love to do for us. And the Bible says your sin of withholding good things from you. There are times that we put ourselves in a position that God cannot bless us. He refuses to do so because He knows that it would be counterproductive for Him to bless us when we're living in rebellion against Him. And so He deprives us of those blessings, or it might be that He disrupts our plans. God has a way of doing that, you know, We're just more than a bit prone to make our plans without ever consulting what God wants for our life. We decide, you know, we're going to do this or we're going to do that without ever even praying about it and seeking the Lord's will, and so we do it. And God comes along and He upsets the apple cart. He disrupts our plans. But then there are times that God delights us with His goodness. Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. There are times that in spite of all of the things wrong that we've done, God does just the opposite of what we think that He's going to do. And He just blesses us. You see, that's why you can't put in a box, God in a box and always, always predict what God's going to do. He's bigger than that. He is a sovereign God. He does whatever He pleases, and it's never wrong, and He never needs to apologize for it. And sometimes we look at people that are obviously out of the will of God, and we wonder to ourselves, why is it? Why is it that God is blessing them? They, they have things that I don't have, and why would God do that? Obviously, I love God a whole lot more than they do. Maybe, you ever saw something? Maybe that might be the reason. Because in your pride, you think you're better than they are. No, you're just different, but you're not any better. And so there are times that in order for us to be enabled to turn back to God, that God delights us with His goodness, and there's sometimes He draws us through our loved ones. I'm talking about it might be mom or dad, it might be grandma or grandpa, it might be a a friend or whoever it is. But God often uses others in order to encourage us. Now there's one other thing that I want to mention because it's mentioned here, and I want you to listen carefully. 
in order to turn us back, when we do not listen to the direction of His Word and the disruptions by the Spirit and all of those other things I've mentioned, sometimes it gets to the point that God deserts us if need be. Look at, look at verse number 22 in chapter 5. Notice he's just made the request. God, he says, turn thou us unto thee. Renew our days as of old. But thou hast utterly rejected us. Thou art very wroth against us. Wow. You see, when we turn away from God, eventually God turns away from us. The Bible describes it as God hiding His face. And we try to pray, but the heavens are as brass. We just can't get through. We go to church and they sing Amazing Grace and the others are shouting and lifting their hands and they're rejoicing and we're dead as a doornail. Nothing moves us. And we just wonder what in the world is going on. It's a dangerous thing for us to rebel to the point that because we have hardened our heart, that God hardens our heart. Because we turn away from God, God turns away from us. And it happens, folks. I'm still talking about Christian people, by the way. I'm not talking about those that are unsaved. I'm talking about Christian people that reach that point that because of their rebellion, God turns against them instead of for them. But here's the good news. God might turn away from you, but God never disowns you. As believers, we have eternal security. In other words, whenever we have a relationship with God, we know Him as our Father, Jesus as our Savior. Whenever that has been established, we have a relationship that can never be broken. But our fellowship with God can be hindered to the point that we become totally, absolutely miserable. And if we're thinking clearly, in the first place, we're not going to wander away from God and turn back to our old former manner of life. But when we do find ourselves away from God, we'll turn back. Listen, sometimes when we turn back, we get right with God, but we cannot avoid the consequences of the decision that we've made. Am I making sense? In other words, we sin against God and we confess our sin and God forgives us of our sin, but there are still consequences that we must endure. I I think about David and the fact that David sinned horribly against God. David did some terrible things. And yet if you read Psalms 51, you see how that God was willing to forgive David and to restore him the joy of his salvation, but his baby died anyway. 
We need to think about that, folks, because a lot of people presume they know in their heart that everything's not right between them and God. They know their attitude is wrong. They know their actions are wrong. They know they've not been doing what God wants them to do. And someday they intend to make it right. It's a dangerous thing for us to presume on the mercy of God. To think that we can put it off until tomorrow, we'll deal with it another time. We need to deal with it now. If, listen, if God is speaking to your heart and dealing with some issue in your life, you need to deal with it today. And I say that because here's the good news, the bottom line, and that's the fact that regardless of how far you've drifted, regardless of what you've done, you can be restored today. Isn't that good news? To think that God would, you know, even consider taking you back, and yet He does just that. I know there are people, you know, that are totally aware of their condition. They resolve to do better. It might be they even walk down the aisle, take the preacher's hand and say, Preacher, what I've done is wrong. I'm going to stop. I'm going to do better. And yet nothing ever changes for the better. What's the problem? Are they, are they being insincere? No, I don't think they're being insincere at all necessarily. I, I think we go about dealing with it in the wrong way. There's so many times that we think that we can make things better by admitting it, even to the congregation. I've, you know, I've done this and I want to admit it. Well, that's well and good. Or we think that we've dealt with it because we resolved to do better. I'll never do that again. I've learned my lesson. But we still never deal with it until... We confess it to God. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That word confession means to come into agreement with. It means that we get to the place that we're not just acknowledging the fact that we've sinned. It's not just that we're sorry because we got caught in our sin. It means that we finally get to that place that we agree with what God says about that sin, and we come into a state of agreement with God. I mean, that's being open and honest about our condition. And in Jeremiah chapter number 3, he tells them exactly that, just as Solomon did over and over in the book of Proverbs, that if we hide our sins, we're not going to prosper. But whoso confesses and forsaketh them, they shall find mercy. You see, this could be a changing day in your life. If you've wandered away from God, God can renew you and restore you that will be back as it were in the days of old, in that time where you experience the blessings of God. I love the fact that Jeremiah didn't say, Lord, turn me. Now, that would have been well and good, right? But notice his concern goes beyond self. His concern is for not only himself, but his people. He said, Lord, he says, turn thou us. 
And we need to have that kind of concern for one another. Whether they're our family members or whether they're our friends or whoever they are. I love the way that the psalmist put it. He said, it is good for me to draw near to God. And Listen, it's good for you too. It's good for me to draw near to God. But wait a minute. We can't really draw near to God. We can't, we can't have a, the right relationship with God unless we get to that point of desperation where we so surrender ourselves that God enables us to do what we ought to do and what we cannot do for ourselves. And if we ever lose sight of living a life of dependence upon God, the world, the flesh, and the devil ultimately will conquer us. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got an entirely different problem than the one we've been talking about. Your problem is the fact that you don't even have a relationship with God. Oh, you might know about God. You might even believe in God. You might look up in the starry sky at night and say, Wow, boy, God God is really great. There might be occasions that you even pray. But until you've been born again, until you've trusted in the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, until you are depending upon Him and Him alone to save your soul, you have no relationship with God. And boy, this sure could be the greatest day of your life by simply trusting Christ as your Savior. And every Christian here could say amen to that. Every Christian here could stand and testify that the greatest day of my life is the day that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I mean, there's absolutely nothing like it. And the only reason, the only reason that we do not enjoy the life that God has given us is whenever we allow something to come between us and the Lord... I like what the old song says, nothing between my soul and my Savior. And that's the way it ought to be for each and every one of us, that we can honestly say there is absolutely nothing that I know of between me and God. There's no hindrance blocking His blessings. There is no offense that is grieving His heart. There's nothing that I know of that God is displeased with in my life. And if it's not that way, it can be. And our prayer today ought to be, turn thou us unto thee. And I love what he says, renew our days as of old. You know, you can't miss something that you've never had. We sing a little chorus sometimes about God's love. And there's a phrase in there that says, once you've experienced it. Once you've experienced that closeness to God, it becomes something that you don't ever want to lose. And if you do, you surely want to regain it. If you've ever been in a church where there's a real, genuine, Holy Spirit, heartfelt 
revival. That's what you long for. And I'm sure a lot of times people wonder, well, it just seems like the preacher never satisfied, regardless of how big the offering is or how big the attendance is, regardless of what we do, just never satisfied. Always more, more, more. Let me tell you something. Whenever, listen, whenever you've seen it better, you want it better. And I hope you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I didn't say I've been in better churches. I didn't say I know better people. That's not what I said. Let me tell you something. I've seen it better in this church than it is now. I can remember a time in this church whenever we didn't see the blessings of God. We had cottage prayer meetings. Try having one today and see how many people show up. Marvin can't even get them to come over here in a little room and pray. And then we come to church and listen to the message and get up and walk out and act like there's no distance between me and God. Who are we kidding? If you want your joy back, if you want that peace that passeth all understanding, you need to make this your prayer this morning. Turn thou us unto thee. We want it to be like it used to be and better. And if we'll do that, we'll never regret it. Let's stand together. Father, how we thank you, Lord, for the not only information you provide in your word, but for the inspiration, the encouragement that you, you give to us. And how we thank you, Lord, for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that when we're living our life contrary to your will, that you, you strip us of that peace that, that we ordinarily have. You make us miserable in order to help us to see that we've allowed distance to come between us and you. We've allowed something to block your blessing, someone, something to hinder your cause. And I pray this morning that we'll be honest about our own selves. And may the Holy Spirit enlighten our mind and help us to see ourselves even as you see us this morning. As we think about others, may it only be to the extent that we're concerned for them, not judgmental against them. May we reserve that for ourselves and examine ourselves to see if there's anything there displeasing to you this morning. And if there's a lost soul here today, may this be the day they trust Christ as their Savior that they can know the joy that only He provides. For we beg it in His precious name. Amen. As we stand.